So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 17 through 19. If you want to, you can stand, and we're going to read the Scripture. To, uh, I'm going to read it, and you can listen. If you'd like to stand and honor God's Word, you sure can. If you'd rather sit, that's fine too. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 17. So here, here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, Since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the heart of the Apostle Paul. God, I thank you for this great example of how we ought to love each other. God, I thank you for the gathering of the saints. I thank you for the joy that I feel uh, just being with this group of people. God, thank you for the joy of, of uh, being together, the joy of uh, fellowshipping and, and helping each other in our faith. Uh, God, I pray that you would stir that up in us. God, I pray that that would increase today. God, as we read this passage, as we, as we look at what the Bible says about gathering, I pray that, that you would increase our joy in being together. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know what? You can be seated. Uh, you know, I, I wonder if, uh, if the last uh, two months of kind of quarantine, not being together, uh, many of you haven't been in a small, you haven't been in your small group, you haven't been in Sunday school, uh, this is our second week of gathering for a month and a half, there wasn't even any, any corporate worshiping gathering, I, I, I wonder if we are able to feel a little bit more of what Paul was feeling uh, because of that. Like, I, I wonder if today this passage is a little more sharp, it's a little more vivid, it's a little more crisp in our minds. When Paul talks about being torn away from the brothers, when he talks about endeavoring the more eagerly with great desire to see you face to face, I just wonder if we understand that a little bit better after what we've experienced, what we've all been in the last couple months, all right? And I hope so. I hope that is a little more crisp in our minds, all right? But he, here's one thing that's absolutely certain. Paul loved the believers, okay? He loved his church. He loved, he loved his small group. He loved other believers, other Christians. Paul loved them, and his love overflowed in wanting to be with them, right? All right that's a perfectly natural thing, right? If, if, if you tell me that you've got great affection for your children or great affection for your mom or great affection for your husband or your wife, and you just love them to pieces, and then you're like, but boy, I sure avoid them. I, I sure try not to be around them. You know, I, I automatically am a little bit suspicious, okay? Uh, because those two things go together, and they absolutely go together in our passage here today, okay? Paul really loved people, and the result of that is Paul really loved being with people. He calls it face-to-face, all right? Uh, that's not FaceTime. Paul had never, he'd never experienced FaceTime. That's actually being in somebody's presence. That's what that is. So Paul is talking about his love for people and how that overflowed in him wanting to be present with people, okay? 
Now, when I, when I say that Paul loved his church, uh, have, you heard, have you heard people talk about loving their church? Um, sometimes, not always, uh, I don't want to put this on everybody, but sometimes when people talk about loving their church, they almost talk about it like they love their country or they love their hometown. You know, it's, it's almost like, uh, oh yes, I, I, love my, I love Woodward, or I love, I love the United States of America, or I, I love my church. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, that's great. Okay, but Paul is actually talking about something much more intimate than that. He's actually talking about some, something much greater than that, all right? He's talking about a genuine affection. Look at verse 17 in our text. He says, we endeavored the more eagerly and with, look at this, with great desire to see you face to face. Great desire. If you remember two weeks ago when we talked about how Paul used this image of a nursing mother, he said, man, that's, that's the way we felt about you. That, that's, that's the way we love being with you. Well, it was like a nursing mother. And he said in verse 7 of chapter 2, he said, affectionately desirous of you. All right? In, in the book of Philippians, book of Philippians chapter 1, when Paul's talking to the Philippian church, he says this thing that I think would almost make us a little bit uneasy, okay? He says in verse 8 of Philippians chapter 1, he says, For uh, God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. I just wonder if you put that on your small group text, how everybody would feel about that, you know? How, how would they feel about you saying that, you know? Hey, guys, I just yearn for you for the, with the affection of Christ Jesus. I mean, that's, that, that's a lot, isn't it? Like that, that's pretty deep affection like Paul really loves these guys. He not only loves them, he likes them. I've talked to a lot of people that they say, oh yeah, I love my church. Do you like them? Eh, you know, okay, that's not Paul. Like he, he loves them in the sense that he wants to be with them. He, he, he is desirous of, of being together. He is affectionately desirous of them. There's this familial genuine type of love. It's not a religious love. It's not a love that's in name only. You know, the Bible really kind of comes down on that. The Bible comes down on saying that you love people, but having no, like, actual showing of it. You know, in 1 John, uh, John talks about uh, thinking that you love your brother. I think it's in 1 John 3, 17 and 18. And, and, and he talks about people that say they, they love their brother, but then when someone has a need or when there's a, uh, there's a difficulty in their life, there, there's nothing there. They, 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 they don't respond. And John says, man, you need to love not just in word and talk, but in deed and in truth. Okay, And, 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 and Paul would go even further than that. He would go even further than, than, than showing it with your actions. Paul would say, man, I've got a heart of affection for you. I have a deep affection. You see, it's possible to even love people in the sense that you do the right thing. Like when, when, when they have a need, you're there. You help them with their fence. You help them with their driveway. You help them with their kids. It's possible to do that and not have a deep affection, right? So, so Paul's going even another step further. He's saying, man, I, my heart, my affection, my, my genuine desire is to be with you guys, all right? And he, he displayed that in his relentless desire to gather with the saints, all right? So I think what Paul is telling us here, first of all, if you're looking for a, a point, okay, uh, point number one is, is that genuinely loving the people of God results in a desire to gather with them, all right? To, to gather over lunch, to gather over breakfast, to gather in small groups, to gather in discipleship groups, to gather corporately for worship, all right? It, 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 it rolls over in this genuine affection and joy to be together. I've always said that uh, Acts 20 was, was the kind of church that I wanted to be in, all right? In, in Acts chapter 20, Paul spends three years, okay? That's really not very long. 
Uh, a lot of you have been in this church a lot longer than that. Paul spends three years in Ephesus, okay? And, and then he has to leave, and he goes a whole bunch of other places. And then as he's going back to Jerusalem, he, he, he I don't know how they did it back then. I was going to say he calls them, but he didn't call them, right? He, like, sends somebody, I guess. He sends somebody and says, hey, meet me in this city. Like, so he, he's like, I'm coming through, but I'm not coming through Ephesus, but I'm coming close. So come to that place, and we'll meet together. And so they meet together, and, and they spend the, the evening together. And then, then when they're getting ready to leave, here's the scene. Okay, ready? And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Isn't that beautiful? Like, like they, they, they're tore up that they're not going to be able to be with him again, that he's leaving and he's probably not coming back. And, and, and it says they knelt down together and there's much weeping and they, they kissed him. I don't know that I want that part, but, uh, but like, like a, a, nice, a nice, you know, hug would be okay, all right? But, but these, these guys, they had this deep connection, this deep desire to, to be together. And guys, what I'm telling you is I think that's at the heart of what it is to be the church. By the way, do you know what the word church means uh, in the original language? So the, the New Testament is written in Greek, okay? And in, in the Greek New Testament, the word church is the word ekklesia. Guess what that word means? It means gathering ones. It means an assembly. It means a group of people that have come together for a gathering. That, that is at the heart of what the word church even means. And so what that tells me, guys, is that if you've got 100 believers in, in, in a town, and maybe every one of those believers is indwelt with the Holy Spirit, and they're, they're joined to Jesus through the gospel, and they're joined to his resurrection life, and they're absolutely a part of the people of God, and they're absolutely a part of the universal church. Okay, When we, we talk about the church, there's kind of two levels. There's, there's the universal church, which is everybody everywhere. Korea, Malaysia, India, every believer in, in every part of the world that has been joined to Jesus Christ by faith and repentance, that's the universal church. But when we talk about a local church, like, like what we're talking about here in, in 1 Thessalonians, when we talk about that, if you've got 100 believers in a town and they don't gather together, they're not a church. They're not a church. It didn't matter that they're in the same town together. It didn't matter that, that they're all indwelt with the Holy Spirit and, and all mission for God. If they don't gather, if there's not some sort of gathering together, they really don't constitute a New Testament church. So it's at the heart of what it means to, to be a church that we gather together, okay? Loving people, being the church means gathering. And, and here's what I hope. I hope it is not gathering in the sense of obligation. I hope it is not gathering with a sense of some sort of duty. You know, a great question would be, why are you here? Why, why are you here today? And, and there's probably lots of different reasons, but the reasons I hope that, that aren't, aren't there is I hope it's not, well, it's the right thing to do. Well, well, it's Mother's Day. I go to church every Mother's Day. Mother's Day, Christmas, and Easter. You know, I try to hit them, you know. Or, or man, so-and-so, my husband wanted me to come. Or my wife wanted me to come. Or my kids wanted me to come. Or my mom wanted me to come. You know, it's a sense of obligation, the sense of duty, the sense of doing the right thing. Um, man, a lot of Christians, when they talk about gathering for worship or their small group or a prayer meeting, I, what I hear in their voice sometimes is this tired sense of obligation. And it's almost like they're, they're talking about the gathering of, of the saints the same way they were talking about about a school orientation or having a colonoscopy, you know, it's, it's like the right thing to do. Well, it's time, you know. I mean, well, it, it's that time again. It's, it's Sunday, so we, we ought to do it. Man, that is not the Apostle Paul. I want to show you guys there's some, 
You could, you could have something better. That's what I'm telling you. You could have something better. Paul had something better. Notice the way he talks about gathering. He says, we endeavored the more eagerly with great desire to see you face to face, to be together. Paul would go to great lengths to be together. It was an exciting thing. I mean, the way he talks about it, it's like the way people talk about getting bowl game tickets. Like, like he, he is endeavoring with great desire and with great effort to be with them to be with the people of God, to pray with them, to worship with them, to, to, to encourage each other in the scriptures. He wants to be with them, and he's going to give great effort to be with them. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is uh, a passage that probably probably a lot of people don't pay any attention to because it's kind of the end of a letter, and Paul's given like, like personal instructions. You know, it's like, hey, hey, uh, bring this, do this, do this. But it's 2 Timothy chapter 4. And, and the, the thing I really love about it is here's a guy who's in prison, okay? Paul was in prison for preaching the gospel at this time. And, and so he's really limited, okay? And where he can go, what, you know, he can't go anywhere, actually. He's, he's chained to a, a Roman soldier in a prison cell. And, and yet, here's, here's, here's what he writes, okay? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9. He says, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in ministry. Tychicus I've sent to Ephesus. When you come, Anyway, do, do, do you see what he's doing there? I mean, here's a guy who literally cannot go anywhere. He cannot leave the room that he's in. And you know what he's doing? He is writing letters to try to get people to come and see him. I love that. I love that. I, I just don't think most of us would do that. You know, a lot of us would be like, well, they didn't, they didn't come. They didn't come. They didn't come see me. I, I guess I'm just going to be mad at them, you know. Paul's like, no, he's going he's gonna to write you a letter and say, come see me. Let's come pray together. Let, let's come, come with me and we're going to look at the scriptures together. Come see me and, and we're, and we're going to be encouraging one another in the faith. Like Paul is so, I love it, he's so active in, in saying, I want to make sure that I gather. With the saints. Man, I, I think if Paul had gone through COVID-19, man, he'd have, been, he'd have been a social media dude. You know what? I think he would have been. He'd have got Zoom and Snapchat and FaceTime and TikTok. By the way, I'm saying a whole bunch of stuff. I don't know really what it is, but I think it's on the internet, okay? He, he'd, have, he'd have got all that, you know? And he, he'd have been hitting everybody, you know? Hey, I, I, need a, I can't get to you, so I'm, I'm going to connect with you in whatever way that I can. Because he... He loved to be together. Man, I, I don't want us to have this, this kind of deep sigh burden where even a small effort is demanded and we're out. Man, we should love to be together. Not only should we love to be together, man, I, I think we should have a deep sense of responsibility for one another. That, that'd be my second question for you is, when you look around at the people in this room and maybe the people in our other services, um, do you have any sense of responsibility for their spiritual welfare? So when, when you read passages like this, man, that is absolutely what the church is all about. Like, like you should look around and say, okay, man, I, I have a sense of responsibility for the, these people. These people in, in, in my town that gather together to worship. I, I've got a responsibility. I've got an obligation to those folks. I, I love the little verse in 2 Corinthians 11, 28, 29. Paul says, Who is led into sin? 
without my intense concern. What's impressive about that is Paul's not talking about one church. If you read the context, he's talking about every church that he's connected to. Every church. He, in other words, Paul feels a sense of responsibility to, to everybody. Like, and we should feel that. We, we should feel a, a sense of responsibility that I, I, I want to, to the best of my ability and every opportunity I have, whenever I'm together with other believers, I, I want to contribute to their spiritual life. I, I want to help them in their spiritual life. I, I want to relate to them in such a way that I build them up in faith. I, I feel a sense of responsibility for their spiritual welfare. Um, one, one observation that I've had is, is that there are a lot of people who, who want to serve, they want to give, they want to make a difference. And I love that, by the way. Let's just say thank you, Lord, for that. That We've got a lot of people that want to serve, give, make a difference. They want to make a, make a kingdom impact. But, but you know what, what can also kind of creep in? And, and, and sometimes this is said very subtly. Sometimes it's almost said pretty boldly. Is a lot of people will say, I want to serve, I want to give, I want to make a kingdom in, impact. But I, I don't really want to do it in relationships. Like, like is, there, is there another way, Pastor, that I can serve? Um, I, I think we find this with a shelter a lot. We, we find with a shelter, we we've actually have plenty of people. And, and, we're, and by the way, we're thankful. Like Crystal and Gary will beat me up if they, don't, if they think I, I, I dog this at all. We're so thankful for people that will clean a room, people that will bring a meal, people that will help us organize, you know, stuff, people that will go. But I, I tell you, you know, you know the biggest need of the shelter? Relationships. Friendships. Friendship is the absolute biggest need. You know, you know one of the biggest needs in our town it's, it's friendship. I, I read this story um, this last week uh, about a guy who was a hostage. I believe he was in Iran. He was hostage for four years. And, and, and he really wasn't like beaten or um, like abused very much. But, but he said well, the hardest thing about those four years was he was in, in, the, in a room by himself. They, they kind of slipped him food every day. But he said the hardest thing about it was this painful awareness that nobody cared. Like, the, the, you know, there was nobody around him who cared at all about him, you know? And man, when I read that story, you know where my mind immediately went? My mind immediately went to a residence uh, on the other side of town where I know of a guy who has expressed that very same thing to me, that he feels that way. And, and I just kind of wondered, how many people in Woodward are right there, like, like there's this deep sense of aloneness, this deep sense that no, nobody really cares about me. And man, I, I was just dreaming of like this, this green, bullet, green Beret ministry, this Special Forces Lincoln Avenue edition, you know, where, where there would be people that would be like, hey, I'll take that job. I'll, I'll go, pastor. You tell me, tell me where those people are. Even better yet, right, here's, here's a pastor's dream. I'll find them. I'll find them. A lot of times everybody's like, hey, Pastor, you, you do all the work recruiting and all go. Now, man, you know what I, I dream of is this special forces team of people who say, you know what, I, I will deeply love people that are alone. I, I will deeply care for people. I will have a genuine affection. I will meet needs. I, I, will, I will expend myself in friendship to people. Man, that, that is the spirit of the New Testament. That, that is an impactful church there, guys. So, so Paul feels that way. He, he wants to gather with people. But what, what's he want to do when, he's, when they're gathered? Well, 
If you've been here for our series, we kind of already answered that question several times. Remember last week's sermon uh, in First Thessalonians chapter two, when Paul says he's like a like an exhorting father. He said in verse eleven, you know, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Um, he can't he can't be with the Thessalonians right now. He was torn away from them. You know what he ends up doing? If you'll just read ahead a little bit in chapter three, he sends one of his buddies, Timothy. So therefore, when we could not bear it, we, we, we could bear it no longer. We were willing to be left behind in Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in the faith that you might not be moved by these afflictions. What, what do they do when they're together? Well, they, they build each other up. They help each other spiritually. And honestly, this is not the case with every gatherer. Like, like here's what I'm afraid. I, I, I'm afraid that, that people will hear this passage and they'll be like, oh, yeah, I don't miss a gathering. Like, I'm always at the gathering. I'm, I'm always at my small group. I'm always at church. I'm always at Sunday school. And, man, thank you. Thank you for that. That's awesome. That's an encouragement. But, but here's, here's what's real. Man, Paul goes a step further. He says, I want to be there because I want to help people with their faith. I, I, I want to build people up. I want to contribute to them loving Jesus. It's not just an attendance quota. And, and, and you know what's a little better than an attendance quota? So, so in other words, you got people that gather, and they're just like, I'm just checking it off, you know? I, it's the right thing. I'm checking it off my week. I did it, okay? And then you got other people that are a little better than that, and they're like, well, I'm not just checking it off, man. I really want to be there for me. Like, I, I want to worship. I, I want to sing praises to Jesus. I love Jesus and, and, and all of that, but I want to hear his word, and, and, and I, 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 want to know what, I want to know who he is, and I, and I, want, to, I want to pray with others. I want, I want to be in a group, a gathering where they're praying, and, that, and that's great, okay? That, that's, that's a step higher. We, we, we applaud that, but you know, you know really where God wants us to be? God wants us to be the kind of people who gather in order to invest in other people. We, we do the other. We want to be there to worship, and we want to be there. But we want to be there to invest in other people. Look, look at chapter 3, verse 10 of 1 Thessalonians. Here's what Paul says. He says, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Hopefully we'll have a chance to unpack that in the weeks to come. But isn't that a beautiful verse? Man, I, I, we can't wait to be there face to face to be present with you so we can supply what's lacking in your faith. Man, if you, if, you, if you need something, we want to give it spiritually. We, we want to be there to give it. The Romans 1, 11 and 12 verse that is so dear to our hearts uh, at Lincoln Avenue because it's our small group verse. Man, Paul is saying some of the same things. He's saying, man, I, I wanted to be with you so that we might be mutually encouraged by one another's faith, both yours and mine. Here's, here's a great one we haven't looked at. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Paul says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together. Okay, so don't neglect to meet together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. What did Paul say they did when they got together? He said they stirred one another up to love and good deeds. You, you know what it means to stir one another up, right? It's to provoke one another. It's to provoke them. In other words, when you got somebody that's that's they're 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 they're, they're settled down, okay, and and, and you're going to stir them up. You're going to stir them up to action, All right? That's what it means to to stir one another up to love and good deeds. Most time when we use this word, it's negative. Have you ever had kids in the back of the car and one was provoking the other, right? 
So you got one dude, one kid, and he's just sitting back there, and he's reading his book or watching his movie or looking out, you know, just being being a perfect angel. And you got brother over there. He's like, no, that's not going to do, right? And and like he provokes him, right? Uh, the way it always was in our car, and we're all packed in there like sardines, you know, but six kids, but so we're always tight quarters but what it was for us is get your hand off me you know like like and 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 asher's really smooth at this like he'll he'll take his foot you know just like right over on him you know just like real nonchalant you know he's just like what's he doing he's provoking him right like he's he's stirring him up to usually it's anger that's not good okay you know what you know what hebrews said though he said don't don't neglect to meet together but consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds that's what we do when we meet together. When we meet together, we're like, man, how can I get Fred? How can I stir him up? How can I provoke him to love the Lord and love Karen and love our church better? How can, how can I stir up Jeff? How can I stir him up in the mission of God? How can, I, how can I stir him up? How can I provoke the people of God to love and good deeds? Like That's what we do when we're together. 1 Peter 4.10 says we've all been gifted. In, in, in a certain way uh, through the Holy Spirit. And our gifts, are, are, we're, to, we're, to, we're to join together with other believers and the Holy Spirit's going to work through you into, into others. Acts 2, 42-47 talks about the apostles' teaching and fellowship and breaking the breads and, and prayers and, and all that we do together. We do those things together that we might, we might be a blessing to others. All right? Now, here's, here's what I think Paul would say if he were here. He would absolutely say, man, there are some things it's just really hard to do at a distance. I'm thankful for letters. I'm thankful for Zoom. I'm thankful for FaceTime. I'm thankful for the telephone. I am so thankful for all. I've never been more thankful for those things than during COVID-19. I'm thankful for them, okay? But, okay, and again, this is, this is not a political commentary. I'm just saying, but they are not a replacement for gathering, okay? And again, don't please don't take this as some kind of pressure to, for you to gather, we've already told you. We've already told you. If you don't feel comfortable being here, if you feel sick, listen, if you got snot running out of your nose and you're hacking, stay at home, okay? Stay at home. We don't want to look at that. We, even, even when it's not COVID-19, we really don't want to look at that, okay? So we're, I'm, this is not like a pressure move. to get. I, again, this is just the next passage. But, but here, here's, here's what we find. All those things are great, but there's some things that, we really don't do well unless we're together. There's two that Paul mentions right here in this passage. The first one is, it is hard to share people's burdens distantly. My daughter lives 7,552 miles from here. Um, that's a long ways. And, and here's, what, here's what I've found. Um, most of the time, it is not hard to connect with her. I talked with her three times yesterday, two times during the day, and then she called me in the middle of the night, okay, uh, which is not her night. So sometimes we have a problem there, okay. Um, but, but so I, I mean, I, I, I get to connect with her. But you, you know what's hard? What is hard is when she's having struggles, when she's sick. She was sick last, last year, really sick. And, and we were trying to get her health care in Taiwan. That was hard. You know, she was kind of almost just like asleep, like, all the time, and, and she just felt terrible and horrible, and we didn't know anybody to be able to check on her. Like, I was this close to putting them on a plane and just, just being like, all right, I can get you there in about 26 hours, you know, and, and so you go and, and check on her. Uh, we were that close because, you know what, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to care for people when they're hurting from a distance. 
And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. He says in verse 17, We were torn away from you, brothers, for, for a short time, in person but not in heart. He's like, man, our heart was still with you, but we couldn't be with you. If you, if you remember the story of the Thessalonica church, as Paul preached the gospel and as the church began to be born and emerge, there was persecution that came in, and they, they drove Paul out of town. They arrested a guy named Jason in the church at Thessalonica. They made him pay a fine, basically saying, hey, that guy will never come back here. And so Paul felt like he couldn't come back, like, like, like he was hindered from, com- from coming back. And, and, and it tore him up because he, he didn't know how they were handling adversity, how they were handling struggle, how they were handling persecution. And one of the things that I've seen is it is really hard to minister and care for people well at a distance when they're hurting. And we, it's one of the reasons we get, we got to be together. we got to be present to pray with and share with and bear a burden and carry a load and talk them down and bring some light and bring some hope and bring some joy. The other thing I've noticed is it's really hard to know really how people are doing spiritually when you're not face-to-face with them. In chapter 3, verse 5 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. You see, Paul couldn't get to him, and then it tore him up, wondering, how are they doing? How are they doing? How are they doing? Man, I... I had a terrible news um, on Friday of uh, uh, a friend of mine who I thought was doing great. And, and, and the weird thing is, I, I, I saw him on social media probably every day. I saw pictures of his family. I saw pictures of him fishing with his boys. I, I saw pictures of him doing stuff with his wife. I mean, I thought, I thought everything was great. Everything was not great. But you know what? It's hard. It's hard when you're not with somebody to know how they're doing. Man, when we gather, part of that should be a checking up, you know? Part of that, part of that in small groups. What part of that in our DT groups? All of my DT groups, one of the first questions I ask them in the morning is, all right, how did, how did everybody's week go? And then, you know, again, could they be lying? Absolutely. You know, and there's no, there's no foolproof way of, of making sure you know how people are doing. But, man, when you're present with them, at least you can, you can read their face. You can see, you know, their expression. You can dig a little deeper. You know, social media, a lot of times, we, we put up our best face, don't we? You know, like, like we put the pictures of us. Now, hardly anybody ever puts a picture of them, you know, just depressed and coming out of bed and hair everywhere and house a mess and says, this is how I really am. My wife does stuff like that. But most people don't do that, right? Most people, most people try to give you an impression of who they are that they really aren't. That, that's one of the reasons that we need to gather. All right, so let's move to the next point. Why, why couldn't Paul gather? Well, look, look at what he says. It was persecution, but he digs deeper than that. Look at verse 18. He says, we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But what? But Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. Okay, now, we know, don't we, just from reading our Bible, we know that Satan opposes believers. He opposes the church. Okay, that is absolutely true. We know he does that in a bunch of different ways. He does that through tempting you to unbelief. Okay, that's in Genesis 3 and Matthew 4. He does that through snatching the word away. You know, the, the, the Bible says in the parable of the soils that every time you read the Word of God, there is a battle going on. 
There's a battle going on. Satan wants to take that seed away. He wants to distract you. He wants to keep you from obeying, keep you from applying. He wants to snatch it away. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says that Satan's going to do everything he can to blind your minds to the glory of Jesus. He does not want you to know how awesome Jesus is. He wants you to always be under-impressed with Jesus. Okay? We know that Satan's going to hinder the church through lies. John 8, says he's a liar and the father of lies. But here in the text, guys, let's answer, answer the question, how does Satan oppose us? In the text right here, he opposes us by keeping us from gathering. Okay, now here's, here's at the point where I don't want you to go political, okay? I know some of you are already tweeting. Our pastor says CNN has kept us from gathering. You know, I, 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 I'm not even saying whether what's true or not true. I'm just saying I, I really want us to deal with the biblical part of this, okay, that's going to apply in 10 years when hopefully we don't remember this, okay? The, the, here's the reality. Satan will keep you from gathering in lots of different ways. Persecution, absolutely. Man, we... Pastor Dan saw this in India in October uh, where, where he desperately, desperately wanted to meet with our brothers and sisters in India and encourage them and have, have a ministry with them and let them know how much we love them and share, share some truth out of the Scripture to encourage their hearts. And they had to flee the country be, because of persecution. And they couldn't stay. That's exactly how Paul felt. I think Dan and Casey and Robin and, and Galen, I think they felt the same way on the plane as Paul feels here. They were torn away from the brothers. So absolutely that happens. But you know what? Satan hinders us from gathering in a bunch of different ways. Okay? Sometimes it's simply through sinful indifference to the spiritual lives of others. So, so if, if my whole theology says I go to church, I go to small group, I go to DT group for me. I go for me. I, I go for my own spiritual enrichment. I, I, go, I go for for my own encouragement. Well, that's, that's good. That's good. But you know what? When we're doing stuff just for us, I'll give you an example. I go to the gym for me. I go for me. I go because it makes me feel better. And... Um, I, 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 I like to eat ice cream, and I know that has a bad ending if I just keep eating it and don't do something else. I have a job where I sit a lot, okay? So I go for me. But you know what that means? Well, I'll tell you twice this week. I was just like, no, nah, I ain't going. I ain't going. I got, I, got, I got too much to do here, and I'm just going, I'm going for me. Well, a lot of people import that over into the gathering, into small groups, into DT. I'm just going for me, and I don't, I don't need it today. I'm really busy. I got this other thing that's more important for me right now. See, I, I think Paul had this deep sense of responsibility that, that he was his brother's keeper. Remember, remember what Cain what, what, uh, asked God when God said, hey, where's your brother? Am I my brother keeper? Yeah, you are. Right? So, so I think sometimes spiritual indifference to the, the spiritual lives of others, it, it's a hindrance to us gathering. Number two, conflict. Bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, those are all one. What, what, what keeps a lot of people from gathering? Man, they get ticked off, right? Like they get their feelings hurt or, or someone says something or they get mad. And so all of a sudden, they, there's this beautiful part of the Christian life that God says, this is a gift to you and this is part of what it means to be the church and this, this is my plan for you. And they're like, oh, I ain't doing it because I'm, I'm, I'm mad at those people. Number three, and this, this one's a little mysterious, but it's absolutely true. We, 
we create a habit of not gathering. Man, habits are easy to do, aren't they? A couple years ago, I, uh, I decided that I was going to get a Diet Coke um, from Sonic. You can get them half price before 10 o'clock. Do you know that? Half price before 10 o'clock. And I, I was kind of tired that morning. And I, I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm just, you know, I, I usually didn't drink one till lunch or afternoon, but I thought, I'm going to get one in the morning. And uh, it was good. And the next day, I got one. And I think the next day, too, I got one. And guys, every day since then, if there is a Sonic in any geographical location, I, I buy a Diet Coke right after my discipleship groups. It became a habit. I don't know what would happen if, if they didn't have it one morning. I think I might have withdrawals or something. We're, 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 it's easy to form a habit, isn't it, right? And, and in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, it says, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Man, it's, it, habits are easy to form. And, and we can very easily create habits of not gathering with believers to pray, not gathering with believers to be in the Word, not gathering with believers in discipleship, not gathering with believers in lots of different ways. And, and what that verse says is we should do it all the more as the day draws near. And then the final thing that I think Satan uses to keep us from gathering is a lack of looking at the second coming of Jesus. Man, as, as, as you read through, as we go through 1 Thessalonians, a fun thing for you to do would be to just kind of outline every time Paul talks about the second coming of Jesus. Because it happens a bunch. It happens a bunch. So, so notice um, chapter 1, verse 10. Uh, he says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And then in our passage today, chapter 2, um, verse um, uh, 19 and 20, What is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? And then in chapter 3, um, I think it's verse uh, 13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Chapter 4, the last 10 verses probably are all about the second coming of Christ. Chapter 5, the first verses are about, the, I mean, in every chapter, Paul is talking about the second coming of Christ. It, it's, this, it's this thing he so looks forward to. What, what is it in your life that you anticipate, you long for, you look forward to, you're excited about? For Paul, it was the second coming of Jesus. And, and here's the beautiful thing. For Paul, the gathering of the saints and his encouraging people in their faith, that was all fueling his desire for the second coming. It was fueling his joy in the second coming of Christ. Because here's the way Paul looked at things. You can see this in verse um, eight, 18, or 19 and 20 of our passage. Here, here's the way Paul looked at things. For Paul, okay, the more that Paul could fuel your love for Jesus, the more his present joy increased and the more his eternal joy increased. All right? Did everybody get that? I, I know those verses are kind of hard. Let me read them again. Verse 19 and 20. What, what is our hope, our joy, our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? You are our glory and our joy. All right? So, so here's the way Paul thought about it. He, he, he thought about it this way. The, the more I'm with you, the more we encourage each other in our love for Jesus and, and in our obedience to Jesus, and the more that happens, the more my joy goes up. And, and not only now, but when Jesus comes, my joy will be even bigger because of that, because of, of us gathering together 
and encouraging each other in faith. You see, there, there's something about loving Jesus with others, worshiping Jesus with others, serving Jesus with others, praying with others, that magnifies the joy in our hearts and that magnifies our joy in heaven. I don't know how you think about heaven, but um, God's everywhere, right? He's, all, he's omnipresent, right? He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He, he's not bound by time or space. And so have you ever thought that heaven could just be you and God? You ever thought about that? Like just the two of you out on a lake fishing, you know? Two of you up in the deer stand. You know, the two of you cruising down Highway 1 and the new heavens and the new earth, you know? There's a country song about that, isn't there? Isn't there, Randall? Just me and God? Me and God. All my country songs I learned from Randall. You know, the new ones. The old ones I learned on the tractor, but all the new ones I learned from Randall. That's wrong, okay? That, heaven will not be that way. Heaven will not be you and God. Let me prove it to you. Revelation. Uh, it's all through the book of Revelation. I'll just give you a couple examples, okay? Uh, first one's Revelation 5.11. Then I looked and, and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, Be blessing, honor, and glory. Man, it is packed. It is packed. There's no social distancing in heaven. It is packed full of people, so many you can't count them. In Revelation 7, verse 9, it says, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. There are so many you literally can't count them from every nation and all tribes and people and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. And, and you find this again and again and again in the scriptures. You find it in Revelation 19 numerous times. Like, like there's this packed, you know, more than you can count around the throne glorifying. Why is that? Well, I, I think it's this principle. I think it's this principle that together we love Jesus better. Anybody remember our, our welcome verse? It's been so long. I don't know that you'll still remember it, will you? May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together with one voice, together with one voice. So John Bloom wrote an article on Desiring God's website, and uh, this, was, this was so good it made it in the back of my Bible. All right, are you ready? He says, one human would not enjoy God as much as many humans together. One human would not enjoy God as much as many humans together. So, so what, what, what John is saying, and I believe this is a scriptural principle, okay? I believe in Genesis 2.18 when God says it's not good that man should be alone. It's not just, hey, we all need wives and husbands, okay? Because we know that doesn't always work out real great, okay? But what he's absolutely saying is, is that I have this capacity to love Jesus, okay? All right? I have this capacity, okay? What he's saying is, when I have other people that are loving Jesus too, my capacity grows. Now, I experienced this this morning. 
I didn't get to be here for when you guys were singing, but I was over at the first service when we were singing there. And man, we, we were singing a couple of my favorite songs. And there was one point where, um, where Angie was on stage. And, and if you know Angie Culp, when she's singing, sometimes she really gets, gets to going. And she did a little dance. Okay, and I'm not talking about like, but I, that's probably over-exaggerating. She like did, did this little step kind of where she's like, you know, like, like I can just tell she's excited, you know. And, and, and we were singing this part that I was really excited about. You know, I think it was that song where it says, uh, uh, I am who you say I am, you know. And, and her excitement, I just noticed this happening in my own heart, fueled my own excitement, you know. And then there was another time where I looked over across the room and, and, and Misty, Misty was singing and she had her hand up in the air like this and, and, and she was saying, I think that was, uh, that was one of my favorite songs, One uh, Before the Throne of God, it was One With Himself, I Cannot Die. And Misty's over there with her, her fist up in the air like that and my heart was stirred. Why? Because together, we actually fuel one another. I, I, that's what I love about Bonnie when she sings is you can tell she's loving it. I, I, I love it when I've, I've seen this happen with her. Sometimes she'll get choked up in a song. Can't sing the rest of it. Does that, does that hinder things? Are you all like, man, that was my favorite part. And she got all choked up. No, you know what happens? Like we get a little choked up. Oh, Fred, he'll be back there bawling, you know. What, why? Because together... Have you, have you ever experienced that at your small group? And someone's sharing about something that happened, and it's so good. And they start crying. You look around, everybody's crying. What? what? What is that? That's together we love Jesus better. Paul is saying that right here. He's saying that. He, he said, man, I, I, I couldn't wait to get back to you face to face. Why? Because what is our hope? Our joy, our crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at His coming. Is it not you? You are our glory and joy. I love that. You're our joy. My joy is magnified when I help you follow Jesus. And when you help me follow Jesus. Our time's about up, but I, I had a bunch in this sermon about rewards. I don't know what you guys think about heavenly rewards, but Jesus baits us with it all the time. And, and, and a lot of people shy away from it because they try to import earth into heaven, you know. And when they think about, well, what does that mean? That, does that mean that, like, some people are going to have bigger mansions than me and that's going to make me mad like it does now? Like when you drive around and somebody has a bigger house and you're like, I wish we had that house. Or they got a pool. I wish we had a pool. Or they got a nicer vehicle. And you're like, I wish I had that vehicle. Is that the way all of heaven's going to be? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Okay, for a couple of reasons, heaven's going to be all about Jesus, okay? But, but the second reason is what we see right here. You see, actually, when I get to heaven, so, so this happens now, okay? This happens now. When, whenever Ed is thriving in the Lord, when Ed, whenever Ed is excited, just ecstatic about what God's doing in his life, what does that do to me? Am I like kicking dirt? I wish I, wish I had that today. No, like it it, my joy goes up, tick, 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 right, in the Lord, okay? Now, man, what's heaven going to be? When I get up there and, and, and I see Ed's glory from, from the Lord Jesus Christ and his joy, and I think i got to be a part of that. And my part in that is going to make my joy go up. 
And then Ed's going to look at me, and he's going, oh, look at Pastor Jason. And then he's going to know he had a part in my joy. And then his joy goes up. That's what Paul's talking about. Isn't that beautiful? So I actually, actually, we love each other in such a way that, that we want each other to thrive in the Lord. And the more you thrive, the more my joy is right now goes up. And the more when Jesus comes back someday, it goes up. Guys, we are better together. We're better together. That's, that's, why, that's why it's so good to work hard at our gatherings. That's why it's so important that we come with the right heart, that we come with, with ready to worship, that we come ready to enjoy the Lord together. Man, I'm, I'm telling you, like, Bonnie, it, it, it's kind of a downer, isn't it, when, when you're leading worship up here and, and you're singing some, you know, how great thou art, how great thou art. And you look out and somebody looks like they just drank castor oil, you know. That, that's just, it's discouraging, isn't it? Right? But man, when you look out and, and man, people are alive with joy in the Lord, that's encouraging. We, we fuel each other's joy in Jesus. So let's be that together, okay? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this beautiful picture of a, of a guy who loves his church. Uh, thank you, God, for this beautiful picture of a guy who, who deeply wants to, to be a blessing to other people, to, to be a spiritual encouragement. And God, I, I just pray that our gatherings would be just like that, God, that they would be like that and better. God, I, I pray, Father, that our joy would be increased. Our joy would be increased as we're together, that our joy would be magnified as, as we get to love each other well. Father, I pray that um, you'd help us to meet needs, that you'd help us to be relational. God, it's hard right now. Um, we don't want to get anybody sick. Um, God, we, we can't really visit people like we'd want or care for people like we'd want. And so, Lord, we, we just pray for creative ways to do that. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.